but I looked at them and go like, man, my mom used to make something like this. This is called mud pie ice cream, okay? And let me, let me explain what it says. I, I pulled the label off the box back there, and, and it said this. It says, it's made of creamy coffee ice cream rippled with chocolate sauce and almond slices on a fudge-topped chocolate cookie crust. It's topped with coffee-flavored whipped topping, chocolate shavings, almond slices, and chocolate-flavored drizzle. Does that sound good? <laughs> Let's see. I don't know how good it is. I don't know how good it is. I haven't found, I found I don't know. Let's see. It's, it, looks, it looks pretty good. The only thing i got to stay away is the co- cookie crust there. But anyway, mmm, that is excellent. It's not as good as my mom's, but it's pretty close. Pretty close. Let me, let me ask, just say, just say this morning that I had some extra pieces of that backstage. I went over in the kitchen. Hmm. Man, it's hard to eat and talk. Just say I had some extra pieces of that. Would anybody be interested in a piece of this this morning to eat while, we're, while I'm preaching? Anybody? Raise your hand if you're interested in a piece of this. Man, that's, a, that's the weakest bunch of people I've ever seen, okay? <laughs> Let's see some enthusiasm. Okay, I, I do have some pieces of this, by the way. Okay, maybe, see, maybe that'll motivate you. Okay, okay. I don't have a lot of pieces, but I have a few. So if you're interested in having a piece of coffee, now if you have a nut allergy, you can't have it, okay? But raise your hand and be enthusiastic, and our, and our pie people are going to hand them out to you randomly, okay? Randomly. I said they cannot give them out to their family members. Okay, okay. Wow, that was cool. Okay, Dan is still figuring it out. I mean, he's an accountant. No wonder. He's taking forever here, man. He's like detail. <laughs> He's like detail-oriented on this thing. You know, it's like counting the rows. You know. No, I just give you Dan a hard time. Okay. I thought about first service only had women doing it, and I was calling them the pie girls, and Dan said I couldn't call them pie girls. He said, oh, you can. Make fun of me. So anyway, thanks. Oh, let's give the pie girls and guys a hand for, uh, okay, thank you. I am not going to eat the rest of this right now. I'll probably melt a, tr- a plate up here the rest of the time because it is ice cream, by the way. So if you guys that got it one want to eat it, just don't make a lot of slurping noises around you, okay, as you're eating it this morning. Some of you are probably sitting there going like, what in the world? I mean, you came to church at Great Oaks, the pastor tells you to turn in the Bible, then he tells you about a piece of pie, then he hands out pieces of pie. What's that all about? You know what I just did? I just demonstrated to you what we call in the church evangelism. What I did is I told you about something that I love, and I really do love coffee, I love chocolate. I was really looking, when I went to the grocery store, I was really looking for my favorite dessert in the whole world. I couldn't find it because I don't know if they even make it anymore, but it used to have a thing at Sam's Club called triple chocolate cheesecake. Remember that? Anybody ever had that before? Didn't have it. So I settled, you know, on this, but this is not bad, okay? It's not a bad settling place. But what I did is I told you about something that I love, which I do love, love ice cream, I love chocolate, I love uh, coffee, the whole deal. I told you about it in such a way that in, in less than three minutes, I described something I loved, and then, then I asked you, would you like to try it? Guess what? That's what we're supposed to do with Jesus outside the walls of this building. We're supposed to engage people in such a way that they would know who Jesus is and just very basically, in a very basic way, describe what it means. You know, I didn't come out here, you know, sometimes we think evangelism is something else. I didn't come out here and yell and scream at you that you eat dessert or go to hell. I didn't say that. You know, did I? No. I didn't come out here with a sign that says, 
repent or eat. You know, I, don't, I didn't do that. I didn't do any of those things. I simply told you something that I experienced in such a way that it created interest for others to consider. And the majority of you raised your hands. You were interested in that, in a real sense. Now, we're in a series called Life on Mission. And three weeks ago, we began this series by talking about the thing that God has told us to do that we as believers, if you call yourself a Christian, Christians are not just people who show up in church on Sundays. Christians are to be people on mission. Because the Bible says, in a real sense, in the Great Commission that Jesus gave his disciples, which we are part of, if we're Christians, he told us that when we left the earth, he said, what you're to do is to go into all the world and tell. Go into all the world and tell. And then he gave us another commission. He said, when, when you, in a sense, become a believer, God says in Acts 1.8, the Bible says in Acts 1.8, it says that when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes into you. It doesn't make you do weird things. What it does, though, it empowers you, in a real sense, to do one thing. And it says that you're to be my witnesses. It'll empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and into the ends of the earth. And so the two things, and there's multiple places in Scripture that tells us that's what our mission is. Now, we talked about beginning a couple of weeks ago that there's five action steps that we are to do. Five things that we're to do that, that encompasses our mission, that enables us to carry out the mission that God gave us. And these are all s simple things. They're not hard things. They're something that everybody can do. So two weeks ago, we talked about the first step. The first step, the first action step that we take is to connect with people. One of the problems that we have, we talked about this in the life of the church, is that after you've been a believer for a number of years, what happens is we become insular. We become ins isolated from other people. The average Christian who's been a Christian for over seven years doesn't have anybody in their life they're connected with in any way that's a non-Christian. And so how can we carry out the mission of witnessing to non-believers, people who are far from God, if we don't connect with the people who are far from God? And if we take our clue from Jesus Christ, who, who we should take our clue from, by the way, the thing is Jesus Christ was a person who was constantly engaging with people who were far from God. Matter of fact, as we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, what happened was is that he would go into, he got constantly uh, criticized by religious people because he would go to parties with tax collectors and sinners. The worst of the worst in that society. And so one of the things we, need to, we learned that we need to do if we're going to carry out God's mission is that, yeah, we need to have our small group. We need to kind of hang out with people who are primarily who influence us in a positive way. But we can't, we can't just hang out there. We have to go out into the world, and we have to connect with people who are far from God. That's the only way that we can possibly carry out the mission. And that's why Jesus did it. Connecting with people. So then we said after we do that, as we connect with people, not only did he tell us to connect with people far from God, but he also told us that one of, the, one of the things that we're to do in the great commandment, he said, we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're to love our neighbor as ourself. And the, only, the best way to express love to someone is what? Through serving someone. So we talked last week about service. The second action step after connect is serve. We serve people. We serve them. We do in simple ways. We, we connect with them, and we find ways as we connect with them, needs in their life, and then we serve them to express love to them. Why? Because we're such great people, maybe, but not really. That's not the reason. The reason is because we love Jesus, and Jesus says that we're to, be, to have the same passion for people and the compassion for people that he does. So we serve. Now, today we're talking about the third step, and the third action step is this. It's share. There will come a point in time... When, if, if you've connected with people who are far from God, 
if you're serving people who are far from God, many, many times they will ask you this question. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And so we're going to look at a passage, actually it's in 1 Peter chapter 3 today, if you turned your Bibles a few minutes ago before I distracted you with the food. And um, we're going to turn in our Bibles and look at a passage there written by a guy named Peter. Now, it's, like I said, it's in 1 Peter, and uh, the Bible, many of the books of the Bible were, were you know, incredibly creative in regard to how they called them. You know, there was two letters that Peter wrote, so it's called 1 Peter and 2 Peter. You know, not, it's, it's pretty easy that way, you don't have to figure it out. And um, the Peter is a guy that we know in Scripture that was, started off as a businessman. He was a, had a fishing business. And as he had this fishing business, what he was doing, he was going about doing his normal thing one day, and then Jesus shows up. And then that day, the fishing business was, uh, they, kept, they call it fish, was nets in the, in the, in the, in the uh, seas around there. And they'd go out in boats and paddle out there and throw nets down. And the best time to fish generally was, was usually really uh, late at night or early in the morning because the water in that, that, that area was very warm because it was a warm climate. And what it was is that it would be very warm, and so the fish, when the water was cooler, would come closer to the surface, and they would catch them. But Jesus comes along in the middle of the day and has a conversation. He encounters Peter, and he says, Peter, hey, let's go out fishing. And he's probably, Peter's going like, oh, this rabbi doesn't know anything about fishing. He's a carpenter. I heard he's a carpenter, but he's not really a fisherman. So he, he kind of humored the ram, rabbi, and what he does is he gets in the boat. He takes him out there, and we can read the story in Scripture. And the story basically says that the fifth, they caught such a humongous amount of fish they couldn't hardly get them in the boat. I mean, that's the kind of fishing you want to do, right? And it was so impressive to Peter, along with some other things that Jesus did, that they decided Jesus finally said to Peter, follow me, and Jesus followed him. And as he followed him about, Peter began to realize things in the life. And, and so later on, after Peter had followed Jesus for a while, now Peter wasn't a perfect guy by any means because Peter was, was like either, either saying something really dumb, constantly, you look in Scripture, or he was turning away from Jesus. I mean, he's the one that said, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And then what did he do? He turned around and denied him. He was a guy that after, when Jesus was, was crucified, he probably almost lost all of his faith at that point because he's going like, he's the Messiah, but how can the Messiah die? And then after Jesus was resurrected, he became the primary leader in the early church. And so he writes some things, and in his first letter, we have recorded some incredible instructions about how to be prepared when someone brings up faith it's kind of like this hit-and-run thing where they want to just basically answer questions, say things like, maybe somebody says something like this to you, to go like, oh, oh, uh, like, oh uh, you're a Christian, aren't you? You're going to church, aren't you? You can't go to this party. You can't do this. And they say stuff like that, and you have no way to really, it's hit-and-run. They don't ask you anything deep. But how do you respond to that? How do you, how do you deal with that? They're not really looking about getting into a deep discussion. But he says, how do you encounter people in a way that will begin the process of opening the door for deeper spiritual conversations down the road? That's what we're going to talk about today. How do we begin the door, open the door to share with people? So in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 13, and let me share a little bit about that as well. Peter lived in a day when being a Christian was dangerous. You could be killed. There were people who constantly were persecuted. There were people who were, in all kinds of ways, we're going to talk about this more next week, there were people who had all kinds of bad reputations as Christians, and because of that, what happened was it was dangerous. And so when Peter starts in 1 Peter 3, verse 13, he says this, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? That, that makes sense. No, who's going to harm you if you do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. 
Peter lived in a day when it was dangerous to be a Christian. Now, in America, is it dangerous to be a Christian? Not really. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen to you? You may not get a job interview, somebody who doesn't like Christians. You may not get a date with somebody because maybe they're opposed. They won't marry you, which is, let me tell you, if you're a Christian and, they, and they're not, that's good, okay, if they won't do it, okay? Because you don't want to be, the Bible talks about unequally yoked, and we don't go into that, but it's the whole deal of being, having the same value system. And so, you know, see, in his part of the world, though, uh, at that time, and it's, in our part of the world, it's not very, very hard to be a Christian. But I want to let you know something. I don't know if you realize this or not, but right now, in other parts of the world, there is more persecution of Christians going on right now than there has been any time that you've been alive. There, right now, today, somewhere in the world, there'll be multiple people who are Christians, call themselves Christians, who will be killed. There'll be churches who will be burned down. Or people who have to go underground and not let their faith be known because if they do, they'll die. It's true, it's all over the world. It's one of the greatest periods of persecution worldwide in the, in the history of the church. So Peter understood that. He said, you know, don't be frightened. Don't, don't do that. This, you know, even if you do what's right, do not fear the threats. Don't be frightened. And then he says this, he goes on. He says, but in verse 15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That word revere there basically means to set aside as precious. It means to decide once and for all that Jesus is Lord. It means that, that you know, decide that Jesus is Lord, not your career, not some other person that's, that, that controls your life. It's decide once and for all that Jesus is the pinnacle of your life, the focus of your life. He's saying that's the first thing we have to do if you're a follower. He's giving instructions to followers. And then the next thing he does, and, and, he, and this is the, where we want to focus our attention today, is the next part of that verse. Because really in the Greek, <coughs> excuse me, the original languages... But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. The next part is actually part of a same sentence. So it's kind of a same thought. He says this, the next part. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, that you personally have. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, let me say this. This is a hugely important statement. And, and, and I believe what I'm about to share with you, I think it will be helpful. Because the first thing I want to share with you is, is what this is not saying. So often when we read that, it, we, think in, you know, we think all kind of things about this. And we're thinking, well, man, I've got to study a lot because I'm going to have to be prepared to give a defense for everything in the world. No, that's not what it's saying. It's not, this verse is not saying, be ready to explain your Christian worldview in a convincing way. I mean, that might be important to somebody, but that's not what it's saying here. It's not saying, be ready to defend the Bible. Have you ever had anybody ask you a strange Bible question? If you're a Christian, I have. That's why I don't tell people I'm a pastor most of the time, because they always say, if they're not Christians, they'll ask you this. Well, you know, did you see the movie Noah? Do y'all really believe, is that really true? I haven't seen the movie Noah, so I don't really know if it's true or not. I know what I've heard. You know, and so they'll ask you questions like that, questions that you cannot possibly answer. You know what I usually do if somebody comes up with a really hard Bible question? I said, I'll send them to a, a couple of resources. There's one on the web called gotquestions.org. It's a Christian website that answers Bible questions. Gotquestions.org. And it's really done pretty well. So if you've got a really strange Bible question, go there first. Okay? 
And, and it'll answer, you can do a little search, and then you, can, you can almost answer almost anything. It's like thousands of questions there as well. But the thing is, not tell us that. That's not what it means to always be prepared. It, it, it's not being, uh, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you're be ready to defend your church. You know, some people will say, well, you go to that church. That church doesn't preach the Bible or something like that. And you're going like, how am I supposed to answer that? It doesn't mean be ready to give a defense for Christians who do not behave properly. You know what those are called, right? Hypocrites, okay? Anybody here who's not a hypocrite? Not a hypocrite, raise your hand. No, it's not going to do that, okay. I mean, hypocrite means you, you say something and you do something else. None of us has ever done that, right? So the deal is, is that so often people are looking for excuses. That is not what this passage is saying. What he's saying, he's saying none of that. What he is saying is this, and this is important, listen. He's saying this in this verse. You need to be prepared. Now let me just read, let's go back and read the verse. It says, always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that who has? You have. This is about your personal answer your personal experience, your personal decision to one question. And that question is this. Why have you chosen to follow Jesus? That's all he's saying. Peter is saying to us, he says, if somebody comes to you and is hit and run thing and it simply says something and you have the opportunity, you know, why are you doing this? You don't have to give them a long, you know, biblical exegesis of some passage. You don't have to know every answer of everything. What he's simply saying here is this. Know the answer to that question. Why have you chosen to follow Jesus? You need to have a one-liner, a simple phrase that encapsulates the answer to that question. I mean, all the other things are interesting to talk about, but books have been written about all the really hard questions. And, and if someone really wants to get the tough questions answered, go there to get the answers, point them towards something like that. But he's not talking to you about having a disagreement or argument with somebody. He said, what you need to do is be prepared as a Christian to answer succinctly and personally, this is why I have decided to follow Jesus. Now, I've thought about this. If, if we were to ask that to Peter, since he's the guy that wrote this passage, obviously he has an answer to this, right? If you write the question, you probably would already have an answer in mind. How do you defend your hope or to have confidence in Christ? You know what he would give you? He would give us a one-word response. He would say, and that's pretty succinct, right? That's pretty, pretty focused. His one-word response would be, my hope equals the resurrection. Maybe that's two words, the resurre resurrection, okay? Y you know, for Peter, it was pretty simple. Let me tell you how I know that. Peter, in, 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 in looking at him in Scripture, would say, see, if somebody came in, you know, why do you have your hope in Christ? He would say, I watched Jesus die on a cross, and then I had breakfast with him afterwards. You know, when you see somebody die and you didn't have breakfast with them, do you think that's pretty impressive? Would it say anything about who they're connected with or who they are? Anybody here ever had that experience? Don't. If you tell me that, I just don't believe you. I'm sorry. I'll take you to the loony bin right away, you know? The reality is, the reality is, 
if someone predicts their own death, burial, and resurrection and pulls it off, I'll follow them. And I do. See, somebody would come to Peter and say, well, Peter, you know, there's this parable that Jesus taught. Tell me what it means. And he goes, like, I, you know, I don't understand all everything Jesus said. I followed him around. I constantly asked questions. I don't really understand. All I know is this. He died, and then I had breakfast with him. Peter, but Peter, Peter, you know, the six days of creation thing, is that literal? Is it six literal days, or is it six yams, which is a period, a definite period of time? What is it, Peter? Because I don't know. All I know is that he died, and I had breakfast with him. That's what my hope is based upon. And the reason I know that as well is because when you read the rest of 1 Peter, Peter very clearly ties his personal hope in Christ with the resurrection. 1 Peter, give me a couple examples. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, Peter writes, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's placed, I place my hope in the resurrection. Peter, why are you so sold out to, to Jesus Christ? Because he rose from the dead. And then later on in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he says this, Through him... You believe in God through Jesus Christ. You believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and your hope are in God. See, Peter's one-liner, Peter's basic hope, Peter's answer to the question that he asked earlier, be prepared, would be this basic thing. My hope is in Christ because he rose from the dead. And I think it would also be the answer to what he said earlier in verse 13 when he talked about do not be afraid if you do something good and you're persecuted. He would simply say, you know, that's why I'm not afraid. That's why I'm willing to give my life to, for Christ. Because I believe, it's, I believe it, he is who he says he is. He is God in the flesh. That's why. I can answer the question with confidence and live my life with confidence. And then he finishes up, let's go back to First uh, Peter th chapter 3. He finishes up that statement where he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. He enters, enters, ends up that passage with a couple of phrases, and they're very important. One we're going to look at just briefly today, the other we're going to look at next week. In the first one he says, after you do that, give the reason for the hope that you have. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. What he's saying is this. This, thing, this whole thing of being prepared is not going and winning an argument. It's not about going out and, 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 and doing put-downs. It's about gentleness and respect. And I just want to express my opinion. I can do so since I got the microphone. Um, I think this is one of the areas we as evangelical Christians have messed up in. And the reason we have done this for many, many years, and it's, the world's changing around us, even America's changing around us right now, is for many, many years we considered ourselves in the majority. Remember the moral majority? You know, we have those type of things. We thought we were in the majority. You know, this is Christian, we always said it's a Christian nation. Now there's more people who don't say they're Christians than there are Christians. We're no longer in the majority, even if we ever were in the majority. But the reality is, that's what we used to think. And any time you're in the majority, what happens when you're in the majority is you begin to get cocky. And you think you have the answers to everything. And what will happen very soon is you'll become disrespectful 
of other people. It happens every time. Just think of schools that have incredible football programs. And I'm not talking about men anymore, okay? <laughs> talking about Alabama, no. Uh, you know, <laughs> Michigan State. Now, I don't know. Whatever the deal is, I saw Carl down here and had to say that. But the deal is this. You know, you begin real cocky because you think, you know, we are the ones, we're the winners. And so you become disrespectful. And through the years, so often what has happened for us, we have messed this up. And maybe some of you are here and you haven't been in church in a long time and you showed up because somebody invited you and they said, well, come to Great Oaks because you won't hear people putting you down and, you know, and, you know, you know we'll, we'll eat pie and do stuff like that, you know, whatever. Won't say turn or burn, doing those things. Because so often what happens, the reason we do this too is because after you've been in a group for a while and you're in the majority, what happens too is you forget, you forget that everybody has a reason for why they believe. I mean, I thought about this. If I was raised, you know, if I come to encounter somebody in a different culture, I would simply say this. If I was raised the way you were raised and experienced what you experienced, I would probably believe what you believe. And that would be true of you, too, if you would think about it. If all you had around you was different experiences and different things, you would probably believe differently. It's a lot of do, to do is, is the experience and the culture you've grown up in. And so the thing is, is we're, when we go to people, we don't go to them disrespectfully and saying, oh, my way's the right way, your way's the wrong way. We simply go to them and say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. And it's changed everything about my life. And you're respectful with that. You do it in a gentleness. And then he concludes, uh, Peter concludes his thoughts here with this statement, verse 16. He says, after all this, he said, after you've been prepared, after you do it with the gentleness and respect, he says, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And we're going to look at this more next week, but I just want to mention it this week. That means this. It means that it says, he's saying, as you come prepared, prepared to speak, be careful. Don't do anything that would cause you to have guilt in the eyes of the people you are trying to live out your Christian values before. In other words, the way you live is just as important as what you say. You got to have words and you got to have the life. Because if you don't, people won't believe. He's saying, and he's saying this too. There's, he's saying there's people, who, uh, there's going to be people who don't believe what you believe. And they may look for a reason not to like you. So Peter says this then, he says, when you live out your Christian values, there will be some pushback, but don't give them a credible reason to be critical of your behavior. We'll talk about that more next week. So let me conclude with this. Let me conclude with this. Summary, before we've been where we're going. We need, the Bible says, clearly, we need to connect with people who are far from Christ. Why? Because God has called us to be a witness. And the only way you can be a witness to people who are far from Christ, logically, is to connect with them. Secondly, we need to serve people, these same people, because God has called us to love people. Not just him. He said, if you really love me, you will love people. And we love people the most obvious way is by serving people. 
by doing the small things in their life sometimes that they're going like, well, why are you doing that? And we need to be prepared, thirdly, as a Christian to answer succinctly and personally, this is why I have decided to follow Jesus. Be prepared to defend your hope. So, here's your homework. Church, homework, yes. Not to be simply hearers of the word, but doers, James, okay? Homework is this. The question I asked or said earlier is this. Why have you chosen to follow Jesus? Write that down on your notes. Why have you, why have I, you chosen to follow Jesus? And you need to come up with an answer to that. Why have you chosen to follow Jesus? It needs to be personal. But let me give you, let, let me give you a suggestion, though. I, I'm going to direct your thinking a little bit here. Your answer, I believe, should center around the same thing that Peter focused on. Why? Because Scripture says so. The Apostle Paul says in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, he says this, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So he basically saying, if the resurrection is not the center point of why you follow Christ, you have no, there's no, you might as well give up on your faith. Because there's nothing to be have faith in. And I heard people say, well, no, the reason I became a Christian is because my life fell apart. I understand that. And then I asked Jesus to come into my heart. That's why I'm a Christian. And that might be true. But let me go further and ask you this. But the reason, the reason Jesus can make a difference in your life is because he's alive. And he has a power because he's alive to work in your life in a way that cannot, you cannot do it on your own. So, this week, ask yourself that question. Why have you chosen to follow Jesus? And do it briefly. We're not, we're not looking for dissertations. We're looking for brief. I mean, Peter could answer it in one word. Or maybe a brief description. I saw Jesus, uh, I saw Jesus crucified, dying on a cross, then I ate breakfast with him. That's all it took. Pretty powerful, though. And how do we say it? Well, we didn't see Jesus literally, but this is what we would say. I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. And that is the center point portion of why I believe. Connect with people who are far from God. Serve people because you love them. And then share with people the words about the hope that you personally have in Christ. That's what he calls us to do. We can all do that. You don't have to know all the Bible. You don't have to know everything there is about theology. All you got to do is be willing to share what you know. That's what a witness does. Let's pray.